We're reading today in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 3, ending in verse 10. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance, in afflictions, hardship, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech, and by the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors, yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. All right, so I'm going to open us up in a word of prayer, and we're going to dive into this, uh, this passage. And there's, there's three ways that I can, uh, I can really, myself, I'm sure there's other ways that other people can preach um, about a passage. There's, there's three ways in particular that, that I do it. One of them I can go a, a historical, contextual way, which is always a lot of fun. Um, I love that stuff. And, and secondly, I can go sort of philosophical way and quote a lot of C.S. Lewis and, uh, and um, arguments for the existence of God and all this kind of stuff. Uh, but a passage like this is very interesting because the first thing you do when you really study passages is, is you sort of study the ancient uh, language it's written in, the, the Greek. Um, and he does a lot of really interesting things in this, in this passage. So I'm actually going to choose method number three, which is we're going we're gonna to study sort of linguistics today. We're going to go heavy into the Greek, and we're going to look at, at these words and what they mean because he did some pretty cool things here. And I sat in my office on Friday after I'd finished writing about this text, and I was kind of blown away. Like, I just learned so much, and I, I'm, I'm really excited to, to share it with you. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive into this. Let's do it. Father, we love you. You're, you're a holy, righteous, good God, and, and um, we ask right now that you would give us uh, um, wisdom, knowledge, and open hearts, and, and, and clarity about your word, about, about what the word says. And um, I ask that you would show us truth and, and help us to submit to it when we find it. May we never force interpretations into a text that really aren't supposed to be there. May we never twist the scriptures to, to, to gain our own uh, sort of uh, confirmation for our own views, if you will. Um, may we never do that. May we only um, seek to understand the intent of the author and, and to apply it and to find some way to apply it in this, in this, in this world 2,000 years after these books are written, Father. We, uh, we, we thank you for preserving this, uh, this letter so that we could sit and study it. Um, and so we humbly come before you, and uh, I ask that, that you would speak clearly through me, remind me of all the things that I've studied this week, and uh, um, be with us now. Thank you, God. In your name, amen. All right, so Paul continues his defense. If you haven't been here the last few weeks, or maybe you're new and, and you've missed sort of a big part of, of our descriptions of the church in Corinth, um, I'm going to repaint this picture. Maybe you here weren't, weren't here last week, and uh, I, I did a little bit of this last week. Um, uh, the, way you, the way you should really think of Corinth when you look at it is, is it, was, it was sort of a debate center. It was, um, it was, it was a city that, that I mean, we, we, we tend to think Paul marches into a city and he preaches the gospel, and we think that, that uh, he was doing something unique. He really wasn't doing anything unique. Um, it was in the city of Corinth, especially 
hundreds of traveling preachers a year came through the city. Um, and uh, I went into a lot of detail last week. I'm not going into a lot of detail this week other than to let you know that um, these traveling preachers, they were, they were very um, intellectual people. They were philosophers. They were big on all the... Uh, um, they were well read up on, on Aristotle and Socrates and all the, all the great philosophers of the day. And people would gather from all over the city to hear the new ideas that the traveling preachers were delivering. Um, and they would become very wealthy. They'd become very famous. They'd have a lot of followers. Um, and so the apostles come into the city. Paul walks into the city. Um, and they know about Paul. He used to be a very well-known, very popular Pharisee. Um, he was at the top of the chain in, in the Jewish Pharisee world. Um, he traveled killing Christians, rounding them up, and proclaiming the message of, of, uh, of that, that the temple gave him to deliver, and he would stone the Christians for blasphemy. Um, and probably personally responsible for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of men, women, and children who were Christians dying. Um, eventually has a, has a huge conversion experience. God, Jesus reveals himself to Paul. Um, and Paul turns his life around and becomes a person who travels around as a Christian proclaiming and preaching the gospel. And he himself comes under the same persecution that he dealt on other people. He's stoned, he's shipwrecked, he's arrested 17 times according to Clement, uh, Clement of Rome who wrote a letter to the Corinthians about maybe 100 years later. Um, and he had a hard time and he writes a little bit about that in here and he uses a lot of interesting words to describe this. Um, and so... Paul travels in, um, and he's standing sort of shoulder to shoulder with these other traveling preachers, except Paul, they all know who he is. He's been beaten up. Um, he's, he's, he's poor. He's, um, sure, he's well-educated, but he doesn't have a lot of followers. The, the, Corinth, the church in Corinth is very, very small. Um, it's not a pretty picture. He doesn't, when you, when you compare all the traveling teachers in Corinth, Paul's the least of them. And so he gets made fun of a lot. He gets mocked a lot. He, uh, he doesn't have very much respect at all, which also means his followers have very little respect. It was, it was a different kind of time um, to be a follower of Jesus uh, in these days. So um, with all of this said, um, we, we, look at, we look at the first verse here, um, verse 3. We put no obstacles in anyone's way so that no faults may be found within our ministry. Um, I underline the word obstacle there because, uh, like I said, we're doing, we're doing a lot of, of sort of Greek word studies today. Um, and Paul uses a variance of the words, uh, a variance of, okay, so hold on. The Greek word here of obstacle is, is proskope. Uh, it, it literally means to strike your foot on a stone. Um, he uses a variance of this word several different times in several different letters um, all through the New Testament. Um, uh, one, of the, one of the variations he uses is, uh, is found in, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 10. It says this, So that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So um, blameless is, uh, is this, um, this word. It's, a, it's, a, it's sort of a takeoff of this one, um, aproskopos, and, and it, it basically means no obstacles are present. Uh, there's nothing to strike your foot on a stone, not giving offense, not causing someone to stumble. Um, now, so if you, if you, if you take this, this word sort of apart, literally, the word blameless, if someone says, I am blameless, it wasn't just a thing that was spoken of people. We think when you use the word blameless, it, always mean, it only refers to people. Uh, in this day and age, this word was actually a traveling phrase. Um, if someone was traveling down a certain road, um, we, you know, we, take, we sort of take advantage of, of the fact that we have a great road system. In this day, 
Um, a lot of roads were very, very difficult to travel. If you were pulling a wagon, if you had oxen, if you had um, horses, if you had a family with you, um, and there was a lot of rubble, fallen rocks, debris all over the road. If the road wasn't well kept, the Romans' roads were typically very ke- well kept, um, but a lot of the other ones weren't, and they were dangerous to walk on. And so you would say, um, if a certain road that you had traveled was easy to travel on, and it was very um, straight, and it was clear of debris, you would say, that road is aproscopos. Um, it's, it's, that road is blameless, is what you would say. Um, it's easy to travel on that road. Now, um, it, there's nothing on that road to strike your foot against to make you stumble. You can travel at night, uh, and, and things like this. Um, so these words are used in the New Testament in very spiritual ways, and we use these words today in very spiritual ways, and we seem to be very disconnected from the original use of these words. Um, and so the, the spiritual meaning is actually very similar. Um, a spiritual road, it's talking about a path to God. And, or, you know, a, a, a path towards, towards Satan, towards the enemy. Um, either way, there's a spiritual path. One leads to the right place, one leads to the wrong place. And, um, and so when we, when we speak of being blameless, we're speaking about, um, are you in the path to God? And are you in other people's path to God? Um, so, in, in the spiritual way, so it, it speaks of not leading others to sin by one's mode of life, not, not striking against or stumbling because of anything you've done, um, someone who's not troubled by the conscience of sin. Um, and there's, a, there's another word, proskomata, um, very similar. Uh, that also speaks of harmful obstacles. And you'll see this word all through um, the New and Old Testament. Uh, in, in Paul's day, there was a, there was a uh, we read the Old Testament, we study it maybe from the original Hebrew, um, or the closest we can get to it. Um, in, in this day, they had the Septuagint, which was a Greek translation of the Hebrew, and it was part of their canon. Um, so the Greek word, the Greek word um, in the Old Testament sort of would be, would be proskomata, harmful obstacles. And this is the word you actually see all through the New Testament um, several times. I have, I have a few of these instances here. Proverbs 4.12. Um, and this is talking about the spiritual road. Uh, when you walk, your, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Um, Lamentations 3.9, he has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He, had made, he has made my paths crooked. Matthew 16.23, but he turned and said to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So this idea and this word is in all three of these passages, the, the idea of someone blocking your road, whether it's literal travels or whether it's you know, we tend to think when, when Jesus said to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan, um, that he was sort of telling him uh, to, just, to just sort of shut up and sort of move aside. Um, what he's actually saying is, I have a job to do, and you are taking on the role of Satan, and you are blocking me from, from traveling down the road that I'm supposed to go. So Satan was trying to put something in his path. So this is a big word. This is, this is a word that Paul uses um, all the time when he's writing. Um, so Paul basically, um, in, Paul basically in, in Philippians chapter, uh, chapter 1 verse 10, when it said, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, the word blameless, what he's basically saying here is if you don't examine yourself, seek out your imperfections and repent of them, you yourself will become an object in the road of someone, that someone is traveling to to get to God. Now, I said all of that to get to this part. Um, Here's what this looks like. Um, someone might say to you, I, I know that you follow Jesus. I've, I've heard you say that you're a follower of Christ. You've called yourself a Christian. Um, and Jesus says this. 
And this is a great thing that Jesus says. But you do this, and you act like this, or you say this. But you also, you're a Christian, and you say that Jesus gives you hope and life and, 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 and you know, he, he, you say all these things that you get from following Jesus, and, and, and you talk about how beautiful he is, but I'm, the problem is I'm having trouble seeing how you actually get this hope and life when, when Jesus says this and you do this. It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, I can't get past this to get to this. It, it, it shows me that it's kind of telling me that you don't really believe and you don't really follow Christ. Um, and, and the truth is, if you go out into the city and you talk to people who have, you find somebody who has rejected the gospel, they've heard the gospel and they've thrown it off, maybe, um, honestly, most of my generation that I knew growing up with who grew up in Christian homes have thrown off the gospel and become atheists. Maybe you probably know a lot of them. Um, they've thrown it off. And, and, and if you talk to them about why they have rejected the gospel, not why they don't believe in God because there's lots of reasons people don't believe in God, um, why, why have you heard the gospel message and rejected it? Uh, they will tell you, well, it's because I, I've heard the gospel message from people's lips and I've seen him, them deny it with the way that they live. And Paul would say, that means you are being an obstacle in somebody's way. Your life is not lining up with your teachings and in order to get to Jesus, they would have to actually step over the things that you have done. You yourself are becoming an obstacle to people coming to Christ. And, and a lot of times, people will never find Christ um, because they were actually looking at you. You're standing in the way of them getting to Christ. This obstacle idea is a big deal. Um, and, and we tend to just fly right by it. You know, I, 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 I was blameless. I, I, I was... I, Never put any obstacles in your way. When, when Paul talks like this, it's a big deal. It's a very serious thing. He's saying, I never stood in front of, of between you and Christ, and you never had to step over my actions. You never had to hear the things I say and, and, and see that they were different than Christ. Okay, you never, nothing I ever did made you strike your foot on a stone and stumble. I am making it easier for you to get to Christ, not harder. Um, and so this is a very terrifying idea, if you will. Um, and this is the part where it gets very fascinating because Paul describes um, all of the things that he's been through while living this kind of life, while making it easy for people to come to Christ. Um, and he starts off in verse 4, As servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance and afflictions, hardships, and calamities. Um, so there's, again, two Greek words. It's going to be heavy on the Greek today that we need to look at. Uh, the first one is the word service, but as uh, service, servants of God. Sorry, that's supposed to say servant. Um, this is the word uh, diakonia. This is where we get our word for deacon in the church. Um, it's a, a very spe- it basically means a special position before God as a servant of his. The emphasis in this word is on being a servant of people, a representative of God, a servant of people. Everything you do is to serve other people, to meet their needs. Um, so as servants of God, we understand who we are in Christ, and everything we do is surrounded in loving and serving people. Um, and then we get to the next word. Uh, we, we commend ourselves. Now, when we think of typically of commend ourselves, we think of somebody getting a commendation, standing up, and I'm... Uh, so basically, we kind of interpret this in the modern-day English as we're commended. We did a good job. We commend ourselves. Yay us. Blue ribbon, purple star. And, and we're proud of what we've done, and we're commending ourselves. And this is not at all what this word means. Um, it, it has this, I mean, it can mean this in the right context, but 
um, in, in this context itself, it refers to self-awareness, somebody who is aware of themselves and their actions. We commend ourselves. It, it, uh, we are very self-aware. We are constantly thinking of what we have done, um, not in a bragging way. Um, so every day, all day, they are thinking of, of, of what they are doing and their actions and making sure that in their actions they are being a servant of people in the name of Jesus. Following me? Pretty, pretty simple sort of idea, but it's a very important idea because of what Paul's about to say with all the things that he went through. Um, he commends himself. There, he's, he's, very, he's very self-aware that his job in every situation is to love people as a representative of Jesus. Now, um, so he starts naming all these things that, uh, that, that, he, that he brought into this understanding. And everything that he mentions, let's look at a short list. As servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. Every one of these things, as Paul is going through them, he's very self-aware that he is doing this for the benefit of other people out of love for them. This is the idea that he wants to really, really um, hit home here. Um, so this is a huge list of things that he had to endure. Um, and, and sometimes we think of, and here's another sort of misunderstanding, um, we tend to think, we read the word endurance, and we, we put it in only its modern-day context of, of enduring things, just sitting through them. That was really hard, but I made it through the other side. And today, people endure a lot of hardships, and sometimes we become bitter. Um, and, but the truth is, this, this, this Greek word, that would not be a good interpretation of somebody who just endures something and says, well, that was really hard, and, and I don't want to ever do that again. Um, endurance, and we talked about this word probably about three or four months ago, is this word um, hupomone. And, and this is not just, this word is not just somebody who is going through something. This is somebody who, who goes through something and uses it to make themselves better, who does it and, and, and is joyful at the other end, um, who goes through it and actually comes out the other side enlightened and, and more self-aware than they were before. Um, this word is, is in uh, second, second Thessalonians 1, 4. Therefore, we, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all of your persecutions. Now, the word is right here, steadfastness. Steadfastness is, is the exact same word, hupomone, that, that we see up in, uh, uh, for translated as endurance. In different places, it means different things, um, but it's all wrapped up in one word, it basically, we don't have an English word to match um, this ancient idea of, of hupomone. Um, a lot of, if you read a lot of theologians, they write about this word, and they, they think it's a brilliant word. William Barclay, he says this, hupomone, it, it, uh, it's, it accepts, accepts the blows of life, but in accepting them, it transforms them into stepping stones to new achievement. It is the courageous and triumphant ability to pass the breaking point and not to break and always greet the unseen with a cheer. It is the process which changes the very nature of tribulation into strength and glory. This word is not just endurance. It's not just steadfastness. It's something different that we don't necessarily have a word for, but we have paragraphs for, thanks to great theologians. Um, that's what this word means. Um, so, the fascinating thing here is that the first list that Paul gives is incredibly descriptive as it speaks about the internal struggles and, and that, that Paul was going through. The words that he uses, uh, afflictions, hardships, calamities, they're, again, these are English words that, that we're using today, but these are very specific cultural words in their day. Afflictions, uh, it's 
literally means, and we did this a few weeks ago because he mentioned this earlier in 2 Corinthians, it means to place large stones on somebody and to crush them with them. That's what this word means. Um, literally means putting large stones on you until you are crushed. Uh, it could be referring to Paul's stonings. It could be referring to several other things. Um, uh, so the next word, hardships, and okay, it's, it's literally translated means the inescapable pains of life. The things that we will all suffer through, Paul's letting you know I suffered through them as well, but I didn't just endure them. I, I experienced tupamone through them, all right? Um, the inescapable pains of life. This could be death of friends and family. This could be abandonment. Uh, this could be just um, depression. All of, all of the ups and downs that, that we struggle with, the inescapable pains of life that will happen. Um, and then he has calamities, um, stenokorea, which, which means uh, too narrow of a place where it describes an army that is caught in a narrow rocky passage that they cannot escape from in battle. I love the Greek words. They're so much better. Um, you picture the 300, right? They're standing, and it, it, it's, they're, they're, they're blocked in. They're, they're in this, like, they're surrounded by cliffs on every side. There's no room to really fight. There's no room to maneuver. You can't get away, and you're accepting that you're about to die. All right, this is a great word. This is a really great word. Um, and so these are, these are how he's describing the things that he went through. And remember, every time he says, I, I suffered all these things while remembering, being self-aware the whole time that I'm going through this, as a, as, in order to serve other people in the name of God. As I'm suffering this, I'm serving and loving people in the name of God. All right? Um, everything that Paul went through, he endured it, being fully self-aware. All right? Um, so let's drop this verse in. Uh, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. Um, there's so much more that he went through. And, and these are ones we can actually read about uh, in the New Testament, we read about it the times he was beating, beaten, times he was imprisoned, all the riots that started, um, labors, the sleepless nights, the hunger. He, he went for days without sleeping or eating several times. That'll make you psychotic. That's, that's crazy. The, the, the things that this guy went through was incredibly difficult. So everything that Paul went through, he endured. He endured it being fully self-aware that he was there in the name of Jesus to love these people. As a servant of God, we commend ourselves in every way. Now, in other words, let me put this into sort of literal conversational phrases. When Paul was being beaten, when people were literally beating him up, his his mindset would have been this, or something like it. I'll take these punches so that these these new believers don't have to take them. I will will bear the brunt of it so that they don't have to, Sort sort of like Jesus did. I'll be the one to suffer so that they don't have to. When Paul was in prison, I'll take the prison sentence so that they don't have to. I'd much rather it be me than them. When Paul hadn't eaten or slept in days, at least it's me and not this person or this person, these people that that he loved and and was trying to bring to Jesus. Um, And and it's fascinating because this is something that that we actually, deep down inside of us, understand, and we actually practice this at different parts of our life, and we just don't even realize it. Um... This is, this is something that, that any really a good husband and father understands, um, that everything, no matter, no matter how difficult it is, everything that he does, no matter how painful or how hard work it is or how little sleep you get, you do it for your wife and children to provide for them out of love. Um, this is something that every mother understands. Mothers will gladly suffer so that their children will be spared of pain. Um, there's, 
There's a lot of women every day that, that in, in, in our country and all around the world that, that deliver babies every single day without any kind of painkiller because they want to ensure that their children aren't harmed by some unknown side effect of, of, of the drugs that might be going into their system. And, they, and they're, they're worried about it, so they say, I would rather just suffer it myself so that my child won't have to suffer. We understand this. We understand this idea, all right? You know what this is? This is love. This is the idea of the love that, that people have for, for each other, that a father has for his children and for his wife, that a mother has for her children and her husband. And, and, and you know what? It's actually the love that God has for his creation. The reason we even have these feelings and sensations and ideas is because our God has them for us. And we share characteristics with him. We were created in his image. We are icons of God sent here to do his work. And so at some level, we understand what Paul was doing we just oftentimes cannot connect it with the ministry of missionaries. How can missionaries suffer so much for these people? Because they love them the same way that a father loves his children. They love these people. Paul actually loved these people. He wasn't just doing something he was told to go do. He loved these people. All right? Um, have you ever heard of a parent who has suffered something for the benefit of their children out of love for them and has come out the other side completely miserable and bitter? No, it doesn't happen that way because they love them. Typically, love is a reward in its own right. Parents will gladly give up things for their children to be happy and they won't be bitter about it. They'll actually be more happy because they, they had the opportunity to sacrifice something for their children. All right, we understand this idea. It's, it's built inside of us somewhere. Um, and it, it, we understand what it means to sacrifice something for the person that you love. Uh, it brings intense happiness. It really does bring intense happiness. All right? So when we read the word hupomone, um, endurance, if you will, uh, and we hear about Paul enduring incredibly painful things and coming out the other side even more happy and more strong, it should not surprise us because the truth is that Paul actually loves these people. I'm going to change subjects here um, because I would imagine in a group this size and an age group this young, there's a lot of you who have plans to get out of college and to do some type of ministry, maybe. Um, you want, maybe you want to be a, a pastor or a missionary or uh, maybe you want to go teach literacy classes in third world countries. You want to go do medical work in impoverished um, places. Um, maybe you want to build hospitals, shelters, um, houses, all manners of, 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 thi- of, build all manners of goods for people who need it in other countries. Um, and, and you want to do this because you love God. You want to basically do what Paul was doing. Be a representative of God and go and do these things for people. If there's anything I could tell you from everything that I have learned and everything that I, that I see, everything I've experienced and everything I see in, 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 in the scriptures with the writings of Paul and the writings of Jesus, um, the, the, the message of the gospel all of this can, be, can, can really, here's a here's piece of advice I can give you. If, if, you don't, if you don't love these people, you're going to be miserable. The people that you, that you want to minister to, if, if you don't actually love them from the depths of your heart, you're going to be flat out miserable. I actually, I, when I went off to school, I went to study music. I hated the music program at, at Liberty University, and, and I, I, so I, I transferred over. I was like, well, I'll just study something that'll benefit me. Uh, I'll study like pastoral theology. So I did that, never planned on being a pastor. And honestly, by the time I graduated um, from school, I wanted nothing to do with working in a church because I remember sitting in the class looking around at a room full of, of, of young men who hated people. 
who were arrogant and prideful and hated everyone. And these were the future pastors of, of America. And it made me sad. And, and I, I'm looking around at these guys and I, I'm like, this is, and, and this is not gonna go well. And, and then the pastor one day near the end of, of, of our graduation, the senior class, he kind of brought in a stack. You know, they have a job placement program and he brought in a stack of sort of um, job openings for churches around America. And, and this one pays, um, this one pays 15,000. It's in rural Oklahoma. This one pays about 150,000. It's in New York City. Everyone's hands go up to grab it. It, it had nothing. It, it's just a job now. Your ministry is not a job. You can treat it like that, but you're just going to be completely flat out miserable. You're going to hate it. You're going to run away. Because what will start happening is you're going to look at the people and say, look what you're costing. Oh, there's so much work. So look what these people are. And, it's, and, and, and you're just going to focus on yourself the whole time. You, you have no love for these people. You will become bitter. You'll become angry. And you will run away and quit. And you will destroy all kinds of people's spiritual lives along your path. And that's the tragic thing. If you don't love the people that you are serving, if you get involved in some sort of service here to serve other people and you don't love them, you will be miserable. It will, it, it really will make you miserable. But if you've ever met people who are missionaries and they absolutely have fallen in love with the people that they are serving, they gladly sacrifice, they gladly suffer malaria and and and. I know missionaries that have had five different types of malaria. They've had worms in their heads that they've had to pull out with knives. They've had all kinds of, of diseases where they've had to have arms and legs amputated. And when they come out the other side, you know what they say? They say, I, I, I'll do it again. These people are the most beautiful people in the world to me. And they're talking about them like they're their children. Like they birthed and raised these people. That's what it means. That's what Paul is doing. There's no point in serving people if you don't love them. You're doing it for yourself. Let's be honest. You're doing it for yourself. You love yourself, so you're serving people. And it's just going to make you miserable. If you genuinely love people, if you love the people that you're serving, your heart will be filled with joy every single day. You will be filled with humility, gratitude, and the feeling that you don't deserve to do what you are doing because those people will be to you the most beautiful people in the world. And, and you will have the feeling feelings for them that, that, that a mother has for her children when she brags about them, that a husband has for his wife when he's protective of her, and that God has for you. And that's what the scriptures mean when, when Paul writes in, in passages like this. Uh, oh, hit the button. There it is. Uh, Philippians uh, 4.9. Listen, listen to this. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Um, this is this is the idea of Christians taking what they have received from God and passing it right through, acting as if they were conduit and passing it through to the people who they're ministering to. Not letting it stop at them, uh, not receiving all these blessings from God, but just simply passing them right through your hands to the people around you and letting them experience what you experienced and, and they in turn will pass it. And, and this is how the love of God grows. This is how the gospel grows. Um, so let, let's move on to verses um, 6 through 10 here. Because, because right here, um, he sort of tells us of the weapons that, that were there that helped him battle back all of the, 
the pain that he was suffering. He says this, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, and the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech, and by the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as imposters and yet are true, as unknown yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live. You can see in every little bit of suffering that he is going through, he says, but it doesn't bother me. I'm actually stronger on the other side because this is done out of, out of love. Um, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. Uh, Paul understood that, 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 that happiness in life has nothing to do with status, symbols, or, or money, or any of that. He is over happy. He's, he's way higher than just happy. No matter what he has been through, he always comes, out, always comes out the other side just rejoicing. He says he has weapons for the right hand and for the left hand that God has given him. There's nothing that can't be overcome. He's prepared um, by his God for the service of the kingdom, and God knows what he needs, and God provides for it when he needs it. God gives him exactly what he needs when he's falling into suffering. And so... I think about that. He, 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 Paul really didn't have much of anything. He, he, everything he learned, he learned from, from like little groups of, of believers as he traveled around about Jesus. Sure, he knew the Old Testament well. He knew everything about the ancient prophets, but once he came and, and met the Christians and, and sat and gathered with them and heard the things, the teachings, I'm sure he was just overjoyed at these things that he was hearing. And, and, and everything that he came to go through, he says, I, I actually, I was... I had weapons for the right hand, the left hand. I, I had protection all around me. There's nothing that I could not go through. Um, a few years back, I, I, I read a story, and I cannot find it anywhere. If you know this story, please tell me where I read it, okay? I'm going to tell it to you, though. Um, there's a story about a little Jewish girl and her grandfather during the Holocaust. Um, and they were leaving the country. They were fleeing the country because things were just starting to get interesting, just starting to get bad. Um, and she was scared. And so they're in her bedroom. Uh, she's in her grandfather's bedroom, and they're packing suitcases to leave, and they're moving quickly, and they're talking. Um, and she's very, very scared about what's going to happen in the future. Um, and, and all she's ever known in the world is that house, and all she's ever known is that town. And she, she's, just, she's just scared as to what is out there and what is going to happen. And she'd never been anywhere else, and she's asking her grandfather about all the what-ifs that, that young children have. What if our home is lost? What if we run out of money? What if something happens to you or to grandma? What, what if, what if, what if, what if? And, the, and she's just asking all these questions. And eventually, at one point, he, the grandfather stops, and he sits down on the bed, and he sits her next to the bed uh, with him. And he asks her a question. He says this, When I take you to ride the train with me into the city, when do I give you your ticket to board the train? And she thinks about it, and she says, Well, you give it to me when it's time to get on the train. He says, I don't give it to you earlier? She goes, no. He says, why? She says, well, I don't need it. And I, I might lose it. And it's safer with you. And, and you just hand it to me when you think I need it. And he looks at her and says, this is exactly right. You don't have the answers to the questions that you have right now. Because you don't need them. When you need the answers or the strength or the wisdom, whatever you need, God will give it to you when you need it. And you just need to wait and trust that the answer is in his pocket, waiting just for you to be taken out and given to you in the moment that you need it. And, and 
that story, as, as like small and silly as it is, it, it stuck with me for a very long time, and, and I'm always reminding myself when things get really difficult, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And, and I read about Paul, and like, how did he know that things were going to work out? Well, he didn't, but he trusted God, and, and, and he just was a servant of God's, and he loved people, and he did exactly what, what, what he knew God wanted him to do, and when he needed something, God gave it to him. He didn't have all the answers up front. He didn't have it all. If you had all the answers to your life all laid out before you, then what's the point of free will? There's something very special about resting on the faith of God and not knowing what to do in a given situation, but waiting, knowing that God is powerful, he's brought me this far, and he can take me a little farther. All right? And this is sort of the metaphor that I see in verse 10. As having nothing, at the very bottom here, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. You don't have the answers, but the answers are yours. When you need them, you will have them. As having nothing, yet possessing everything. The line of communication to God is open, and he loves you, and he suffered joyously for you so that that you would have everything that you need. And it starts with love. Love towards others is the first step to joy, and it's also the pathway towards overcoming just about everything and thriving in it. The things that you are going through, be a representative of God and do it out of love for other people. And you will come out the other side, not just having endured, but having hupomone, having learned something and, and, and having more joy and being stronger. And for everything that you do not know how to solve, our Father has the answer, and when you need it, you will have it. Have some faith. This passage, it's not, it's not one of those huge passages in scriptures that people sort of quote and, and go on and on about it as one of the great passages of, of the New Testament, but it, it really is. It's really, really a beautiful, beautiful passage. And he explains a lot about why he doesn't care how people look at him, why he doesn't need to be looked up to in the city, why he doesn't need the other, the other religions to think he's great, why he doesn't need to stand toe-to-toe with all these other philosophers because these are his children and he loves them and he will suffer whatever it takes to to feed these people and make them happy. All we can do is take the things that Paul sort of writes down and teaches us and take them into our own lives and I trust that that if we apply these things we're going to be much happier people. We really are. Um, We're going to go into a time of communion. We do this every week and it's it's a very important thing for us. It's a time when we ponder the things of Jesus and we um, we ponder what he suffered, what he went through when he suffered and died on the cross. And, and we remember his suffering for his children, us. And we come on up and we take a piece of bread, we rip it off. It symbolizes the body of Christ. We dip it in, in the wine. It symbolizes the blood of Christ. And we take it down inside of us as if to say, Father, I remember what you did and I take your gospel down inside of me. Change me from the inside out. And uh, if there's something you need to make right with somebody else today, please do that. If there's something you need to repent of, repent of it. Make it right before you take communion. Um, if you need prayer, if there's something that you need to get off your chest, you need to pray about, you're, you're bearing a heavy load, we will have elders. Um, we're going to put the elders in the back. I'm told it's very hard to hear over our music. <laughs> um, so we're going to move the elders to the back. We're, they're going to meet you in, in, in the back back here. Um, if you need to pray with somebody, just, I'll say it, look for the older people. They'll be standing in the back. I don't know. Um, I don't know how to describe it. Um, so if you need prayer, go to them, talk to them, and, uh, or, or stick around afterwards. I'll talk to you. We'll, we'll, we'll pray with you all day. And uh, so take some time, and, and uh, 
Well, let's take communion. Father, we love you. You're a good God. You're a holy God. And we ask that you would give us a little bit of that servant's heart that Paul had. Just, just a little bit, I think, would, would totally change everything that we have. But if you see fit to grant us much, much more, we would be happy with that as well. And um, we, we stand in awe of the things that your servants have been through and how happy and joyous they have been through the whole thing. And, and we thank you for, for putting these people out before us to read about, for preserving their writings so that we can understand what it really means to follow you. Teach us to be a church that is loving and serving and that genuinely loves the people in this city that we would not go out into the city with some ulterior motive to just change people and change everything. We don't want to change them. We want to love them. We want to love them because you loved us. We want your love to just shower upon them, Lord, and, and we know that that will change people. We don't need to sit and wonder about it. Be with us now as we go into a time of communion. Bring things to our mind that we need to repent of. Form us more in your image today. Make us more like you. Give us some things that we need to throw off and, and never pick back up again. Thank you, Father. We pray all of this in your holy name. Amen.